take no notice. Just try to debunk us, okay? Get into your little car and drive to Tucson and don't stop for anything, okay? Just keep driving. You'll find there's no one else out there and then you tell me what you find. Because what you're not going to find is primary sources for this stuff because it doesn't exist. And if I'm wrong, please, someone prove it. Hello and welcome to Project Monolith, part of a new podcast series, Breaking Technology. In this first episode, we look at hoax technology in the media. I have realised something quite profound of late. For some reason, there appears to be a black monolith connection to technological products that are obviously hoaxes in the public arena. So either a logo will be used or even the product itself will be in the form of a black monolith. I can speculate on reasons for why this may be until the end of my life. With thoughts on Kubrick's and Clark's grand story of the superintelligent AI in black monolith form and the fact that smartphones which have taken over the earth are clearly modern day scry mirrors that also take the black monolith form. But rather than do that, I'm now using this realisation as an extra marker for hoax technology. It was when I came up with the idea for the Project Monolith podcast that it dawned on me that I had never taken any time to look into quantum computers. While searching for images of black monoliths, my feed received images of the D-Wave computer. I had seen and heard of these incredible machines a number of times over the years, and the fear-mongering and speculations is rampant among certain sectors of the act realm. Connections with quantum computers are even drawn to CERN by many Muppets. So, the quantum computer hoax. It will take someone with an open inquiry mind around five minutes to come to the realisation that quantum computers are, in fact, a hoax. Like most things, nobody seems to bother to check anything. Supposed facts dished out in the TV news, articles online and on paper. The information just gets consumed and stored for later regurgitation by Joe Public. If said topic should come up in conversation, even a cursory look onto the D-Wave Systems wiki page will show you all you need to know, especially if you look using a logical framework. This is quite retarded to say the least. So we have on the D-Wave Systems wiki page, D-Wave Systems Incorporated is a quantum computing British company based in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada. D-Wave has claimed to be the world's first company to sell computers which exploit quantum effects in their operation. And what do we find stated in this very first paragraph? Although scientists and researchers refute such claims, calling them a publicity stunt. I found this choice nugget after I had already come to the conclusion that quantum computers were a hoax. Indeed, you can easily search online and come across articles and papers that indeed state that D-Wave, in their opinion, is a publicity stunt. In other words, a hoax. Of course, it is not hard to believe that these computers are a hoax when you realise who is collaborating with the manufacturers. I quote, 
In 2015, D-Wave's two times quantum computer with more than 1,000 qubits was installed at the Quantum Artificial Intelligence Lab at NASA, Amy's Research Center. NASA, the king of the hoaxers. I'm sure those familiar with the moon landing hoax and all the flat earthers out there will agree with me on that one. The Quantum Artificial Intelligence Lab is a joint initiative of NASA, University Space Research Association and Google, whose goal is to pioneer research on how quantum computing might help with machine learning and other difficult computer science problems. Oh my. Where did the idea come from for quantum computers? With which bright spark did this fantasy originate? If you want to make a simulation of nature, the legendary physicist Richard Feynman advised in 1981, you'd better make it quantum mechanical. By nature, Feynman meant stuff the particles and atoms and molecules were made from. His comment came in a talk published the following year and is generally regarded as the founding text of quantum computing, the birth of an idea which others soon latched onto. I came across a very interesting article titled Quantum Chemistry on Quantum Computers by a Philip Ball dated the 21st of July 2017, a link to which I'll leave in the description below this video. Try reading this with your bullshit detectors activated and it will amuse you no end. The biggest tell for me is when you go to any paper where an academic is giving the rundown on the technical specifications on these incredible machines. Just like the politicians, these people have a prolific tendency to use the word may. They may be able to calculate this. They may be able to achieve that. They may also get a knock on the door from Kate Beckinsale, begging for a raunchy night in under the sheets as well. So my conclusion, you can find many citations by researchers and scientists who state that quantum computers are a publicity stunt. All information I can find points to the fact that quantum computers are no faster at calculations than traditional computation methods. Yes, they will release new faster versions, but guess what? Intel have been doing this for years and will continue to do so. Quantum computers are obviously a hoax. The computers supposedly manufactured and sold are obviously based on traditional technology, if they even exist at all. Next, we have the nuclear reactor hoax. I've been dubious for some time now about nuclear power stations. I strongly suspect that our electricity, purported to be produced by nuclear means, is generated by other technology. But I intend to keep subjectivity and speculation away from this podcast, so I will not divulge my thoughts on this here. What I will share with you is this. I came across a YouTube video entitled, Inside MIT's Nuclear Reactor. This gave a guided tour. This is supposed to be real. I've included a link to this video in the description below. It is Hoax City. The big giveaway is near the start. When the lady host says that the reactor does not generate electricity, she tells us that the main product manufactured is neutrinos. And what is the one thing you cannot do with a, with a neutrino? Yes, that's right. You cannot detect them, at least according to the mainstream belief. 
you have to freeze them and use equipment to detect minute bursts of light. Isn't it odd that we're being told that a reactor is creating neutrinos? Why? We're told that the sun produces these in countless trillions every day. Please note, she then changed her story later to tell us that they inject neutrons into multiple substances. Neutrons are not neutrinos, and both are theoretical. A neutron is made of quarks, and a neutrino has no subcomponents, apparently. When watching the video, you will also notice the claim that they are performing alchemy, element-to-element -element transformation. If the dialogue was not damning enough, you will laugh when you see the protocols of procedure that they are following on site. Watch the host tape up her pockets, yet she's wearing jewellery and glasses that could have easily come off and fell into the reactor's housing. A technician puts his pliers down on the, on the rim housing, the water as well. Mmm, the water that mysteriously shields them all from radiation by absorbing neutrons. And exactly how many neutrons can that water absorb? As water does not become radioactive, only the particles in it, what does the water do with all those theoretical neutrons? So we have a nuclear reactor on a US university campus, what a fantastic idea, producing neutrinos that cannot be detected and the procedures used on site make it look like a clown show which is exactly what it is a theater production for the students however while i sit here and chuckle as the whole thing is laughable there is one thing to notice on the thumbnail for the video it captures a scene where a graphical depiction is shown of fuel rods being inserted into the reactor giving us a logo a monolith this well this is now the members section of project monolith episode one and what i'm going to do is a history hoax section so going forward uh, i'll be interviewing people and splitting the podcast into two uh, half for youtube and obviously the full mp3 download for members but anyway my thoughts here are is that everybody likes to read articles and obviously many of my posts on my site are articles or article based so i thought i'd go through one of my recent articles as a podcast and add this to project monolith so this article is about the tudors and the reason i did an article on the tudors is that my girlfriend is actually crazy on tudors and when she was at school they were they did a big section on it and yeah, she she was really into the Tudors and thought they were a real thing. So I, I thought I'd uh, have a go at breaking history and seeing if I could crack the Tudors. So here we go anyway. So in a recent member Discord call with JLB, which was actually Hoaxes Are Forever, Series 2, Episode 3, I remarked on an idea to try and get hold of the wireframe mesh and run my hands along it. And I postulated that I may be able to narrow down the period of time in which this earth may actually have started by tracking down when primary sources actually began appearing. And I'd do this by strategically targeting specific topics and historical narratives more closely related to this grey area, the cloudy time period around the 16 to 1700s, 
but also on subjects that appear on the outside looking in to have a massive amount of supporting evidence. So I kick-started this project with an article entitled The Book of the Law, and I could trace no further back than the 1700s for any primary sources for the legal systems, most sources tracing only to the 1800s. So now I turn my hand to a period of time where a very famous English royal family ruled from the year 1485 all the way up to 1603. And that family is the House of Tudor, which was an English royal house of Welsh origin, descended in the male line from the Tudors of Penmynid. Tudor monarchs ruled the Kingdom of England and its realms, including their ancestral Wales and the Lordship of Ireland, which was later the Kingdom of Ireland, from 1485 until 1603, with five monarchs in that period. Okay, the five monarchs of the House of Tudor, Henry VII, crowned in 1485, Henry VIII, crowned in 1509, Edward VI, crowned in 1547, Mary, Queen Bloody Mary, crowned in 1553, and the very alien-like looking Elizabeth I, crowned in 1559. In the UK and beyond, to most of the land of the lemmings, the Tudor name is very well known through the education system and TV programming like the series. Mm. I'll put a link into the box for the Tudors, which is a TV series, a very famous one and very exciting one as well. So where do you start on an investigation like this? Well, there are apparently lots of Tudor treasures stored in the National Archives. But unfortunately, when I went to the Tudor Treasures National Archives section, all I got back was, sorry, we couldn't find that page. The page may have been moved, updated or deleted. We may have a missing page or an incorrect link. Please contact us to let us know so we can correct our mistake. Hmm, that is strange. I thought I'd better look for something else to verify the existence of the Tudors. So what better a piece of evidence to source than a book ordered into publication by the very first Tudor monarch who initiated kicking out the Pope from England, apparently. And that book is Archbishop's Cranmer's Book of Common Prayer, which was published in 1549. Now, there's a bit on wiki here that I read a little bit out. It's Edward VI was the monarch who basically was in power when the first Book of Common Prayer was published. And he was taught that he had to lead religious reform. So the Crown ordered the publication of a Book of Common Prayer, which contained forms of worship for daily and Sunday church services. Um, but the controversial new book was not welcomed by either reformers or Catholic conservatives. It was especially condemned in Devon and Cornwall, where traditional Catholics were loyal. It was really at its strongest down there. In Cornwall at the time, many of the people could only speak the Cornish language as well. So the uniform English Bibles and church services were not understood by many. And this caused the prayer book rebellion in which groups of Cornish nonconformists gathered around the mayor. The rebellion worried Somerset now, Lord Protector, and he sent an army to impose a military solution to the rebellion. Apparently, the rebellion hardened the crown against the Catholics and the fear of Catholicism focused on Edward's elder sister, Mary, who was a pious and devout Catholic. Although called before the Privy Council several times to renounce her faith and stop hearing the Catholic Mass, 
she refused. So Edward had a good relationship with his sister Elizabeth, who was a Protestant, albeit a moderate one. But this war strained when Elizabeth was accused of having an affair with the Duke of Somerset's brother. Thomas Seymour, first Baron Seymour of Sudley, the husband of Henry's last wife, Catherine Parr. Elizabeth was interviewed by one of Edward's advisers, and she was eventually found not to be guilty. Despite forced confessions from her servants, Catherine Ashley and Thomas Parry, Thomas Seymour was arrested and beheaded on the 20th of March, 1549. What a good story. So I'll then look at Cranmer's second version book of prayer as well, which was published in 1552. And this was modified from the original to completely expunge the heretic Catholic influences left in the first edition. Mary I put a dampener on the situation by converting the kingdom back to Rome during her reign. And with her death, Henry VIII decided to kick the Pope up the ass again. So more versions of the second edition prayer book were published virtually in an untouched format to the original. So we've got many ordinary churchgoers, that is those who could afford a copy as it was expensive, would own a copy of the prayer book. Judith Maltby cites a story of parishioners at Flixton, I think that is, in Suffolk, who brought their own prayer books to church in order to shame their vicar into conforming with it. And they eventually ousted him between 1549 and 1642. Roughly 290 editions of the prayer book were supposedly produced. So before the end of the English Civil War in 1642 to 1651 and the introduction of the 1662 prayer book, something like half a million prayer books are estimated to have been in circulation. And a retranslation into Latin of the 1559 Book of Common Prayer was made in the form of Walter Haddon's Liber Precum Publicarum of 1560 and its use was destined for the universities. Uh, there was also a Welsh edition of the Book of Common Prayer, which was published in 1567. There we have it, half a million prayer books by 1662 AD, which is the official story, well after the reign of the Tudors was over. You would have thought at least one prayer book must have survived. So before I actually started tracing the sources and going through, just looking on wiki, the first hint of deception I spotted, a version on the wiki page and it was a 1760 printing of a 1662 book of common prayer which i thought was a bit dicey it was just a hundred years after the the edition so that was a good start but uh, let me cut to the chase i tracked down a digital copy of the only primary source material for the 1549 book of common prayer so the original book and i'll put a link to the original pdf below the mp3 but uh, here is what we find on the opening page of the document the 1549 book of common prayer the source text for these pdf files was a true facsimile probably the only one ever made of the 1549 book of common prayer privately printed in wait for it 1896. So this book appears in David Griffith's bibliography of the Book of Common Prayer as 1896 and is a facsimile of the very first printing of the Book of Common Prayer, Griffith, 1549. So essentially what we can see here is that the first original Book of Common Prayer was first produced in 1896. Unbelievable. The wireframe mesh again. Here we go. Welcome to the wireframe mesh. You really have got to love these historians. They really know how to make up a good yarn. And if it was not clear enough from what I've just said, let me spell it out for you. This is what's on the second page of the book itself. So the big title of the con it's actually the contents of the book but it's split up and you have the con in massive writing on this second page and then we go to the second book of common prayer 
And my title on the on the page here is It's a 9-11. So we have a book supposedly reprinted from a copy in the British Museum. I couldn't track down a copy in the British Museum at all. But what I did find was a book published in 1910 called The First and Second Prayer Books of Edward VI, part of a library called Everyman's Library. And it's the oldest actual source I could find for the second book. So again, I have a PDF download of that, which I'll link to the below. And oh, good. Apparently the publication date of the book I could find was 1964. And I tracked down a source with a date given in 1910. I find the actual book scanned in 2006. The scanner of the book declares no visible notice of copyright and date, but the exact publication date is down as not known. The publication date given by the source toast is 1964. But it, when you go into the book itself, it's verified that this is actually a reprint of the 1910 version. So... <laughs> You could actually take it that this is actually, uh, or could have been from 1964, but um, I'll give them 1910 and it gives me a 911 anyway. So there you go. So Tilda era of the book is, uh, the Tudors are apparently nonsense. I mean, the, you know, we've got some key books here that are supposedly introduced by the Tudors. And clearly, we've got one made in 1896 and one in 1910. So the Tudors just... Yeah, the wireframe mesh. Here we go. So I thought that'd be interesting anyway, so have a look at that. And I'll be recording an interview for episode two of Project Monolith shortly. And uh, as I said, I'll be splitting that up into two and giving the full version to the members of TNGBreakingReality.com. So thanks for listening and goodbye.
I saw 